Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, today we've got a great episode where I'm going to be talking with Matt Golis from GiveGame. And so uh, I'll tell you right off the bat, it's a very different kind of interview. I think you're really going to like it, but we're just talking about um, a new technology that he has that's integrated with payments um, and an opportunity he's presenting to ISOs to be able to offer it. And so I thought it was something really cool. It's about uh, charities and giving and stuff, which is really a big deal right now in COVID-19. So I really hope you like this one. I think it's such a cool concept. Um, When that's done, I'm going to be talking about a very specific merchant services question that I got in our Facebook community about would you sell a large merchant at low pricing if you had to to get the deal? So kind of like how low would you go? And in this case, it was a merchant with 15 locations, about 60,000 a month per location um, and selling them at four basis points and four cents. And so I talk really specifically about, you know, how to make that decision of whether or not to close that deal and then what to do to make it profitable if you do sell it. So uh, really interesting stuff. Let's go ahead and dive in right now to my interview with Matt Golis from Give Game. Hey everybody, I'm here today with Matt Golis. Matt is the founder and CEO of Give Game. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great. great awesome. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us today. So uh, Matt and I have a, a really interesting discussion. I haven't had one of these in a while on the podcast where we've talked about something that definitely has a lot to do with merchant services and merchant sales, but is in a, a slightly unrelated category. So we're going to be talking about um, employee donations um, and how ISOs can learn to do good while also making some money in the process. So before we get into all the details, Matt, I uh, always like to get the backstory. So I know you've got a long history in the industry. Tell us about your history in this industry and then how you ended up founding GiveGame. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been in the merchant services and payment processing industry for over 20 years, uh, actually co-founded uh, Rent Payment, which was the largest merchant service provider for the uh, real estate apartments, vacation rental, right. self-storage market. Um, so very, very familiar with the pain points of, of ISOs and uh, being able to compete and have a, a really great technology solution to bring to market. Um, through my experience, though, at Yapstone, um, we saw some opportunities in the nonprofit industry specifically about how could we make nonprofit electronic giving a superior and easier option for consumers than uh, paper-based giving, obviously. So paying with cash, paying by check. And in a lot of cases, the interfaces that the consumers would see were just really hard and cumbersome for them to actually put in their credit card credentials to actually make donations. And so there was both this aspect of the user experience not being super easy for people, but also it just simply not being fun. And right, that's where right. it's this confluence of how can we make giving fun that really drove uh, the decision to, to want to start a company like Give Game. And, and really the genesis of it was, you know, starting with what had become popular with fantasy sports and uh, with daily fantasy and some of right. these other experiences that people have been doing now for 20 plus years in right. many cases. Right. You know, there's just something about how you can leverage the fun of that gameplay, but not in a way that's gambling, not where we're trying to compete against in many cases, sharks, guys, you know, who are consistently winning these competitions, but how could I play with my friends, with other families, with my coworkers in a way that leverages the fun of the gameplay, but without a gambling connotation, meaning that if money's involved, it needs to go to a nonprofit organization hmm. who's going to benefit by virtue of whoever wins the game. And so yeah. that was really the original idea. So then became, okay, do you want to do this as just like a mobile game that you could pick up and play anywhere? you know, like a, like a Candy Crush or some other type of thing, or do you really want to leverage a, these events that really already get a ton of attention on social media, uh, obviously with uh, TV and radio. Uh, so namely the biggest sporting events, 
the biggest pop culture events. So things like reality TV shows. So the Bachelor, Bachelorette, Dancing with the Stars, and then also Hollywood award shows. So the Oscars, the Emmys, the VMAs, the Country Music Awards, you name it. And so what we figured out is if we build a platform that makes it easy to build games that are tied to these types of events, that at any point in the year, people can use this as a way to make it fun to give, to make it easy to share on social media, and to really bring in donations in a way that they don't have to bring in volunteers, they don't have to sell stuff, right. they don't have to do all those other things that pre-COVID we kind of took for granted. Right. And now this COVID era, you know, we need to have these virtual fundraising ways to do it, but we can also make it fun. So yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So super interesting. And of course, we're going to dive into more details of how this relates to credit card processing and, and ISOs and things. But before we do that, I'd love for you to kind of frame this a little bit. So help us understand, you know, obviously we're talking about employee donations, right? So we're talking about companies you know, primarily, I know there's other aspects of it, but primarily it's companies getting their employees to donate. Can you talk right. to us about the current state of employee donations in the yeah. U.S.? Um, and I know in our conversation earlier, we were talking about the younger demographic specifically. So shed a little light on, on that industry and then we'll get more specific. Yeah. So in terms of annual giving, uh, the numbers that have recently been really have been around five billion is about uh, the total volume of employee giving with companies. And so we're talking specifically about individual employees giving to nonprofits. Right. Um, so that obviously is inclusive of company matches and other aspects of company giving, but it's strictly the donations that come from individual employees. These are not grants made by companies to foundations that strictly employ giving. Right. So that's sort of the current market. But as you might imagine, you know, it's one of the highest priorities when you talk about companies, social responsibility is how do we boost participation rates? And to your point, how do we reach particularly our younger employees, um, the people that, you know, maybe are just starting at a new job right out of college, they don't even know that their company makes it available to them to be able to give to causes they care about. One of the challenges has historically been uh, when you talk about like bigger companies. And so you think about companies that support a single nonprofit for years. So it could be St. Jude, it could be United Way, it could be you make a wish foundation. You know, in many cases, the younger employees may not feel the connection specifically to that cause. And so in their mind, they want to play for uh, a cause that is near and dear to their heart. So it could be a place where they volunteer out on the weekend. It could be their alma mater. I mean, it could be right. uh, could be a, a church. It could be anything. Um, and so, so from that perspective, traditional employee giving, I think, has not gotten the participation rate it could get because not everyone was on board with supporting that single nonprofit. One of the ways the Give Game addresses that is we certainly support that model where everyone at a company is playing for the same nonprofit. So let's say United Way, and then on the United on the leaderboard when you play the game, you'll see everyone at the company who's playing, and you can clearly see that the money raised by playing the game is going to support United Way. Right. But the other model that really addresses this younger demographic, I think, in a much more uh, really relevant way is where the game is set up. Every employee picks their personal favorite the nonprofit they want to play for. And then they each make a donation. So the donation is not going specifically to their nonprofit, but they're effectively just making a contribution effectively to the pod of the game. Right. And then whoever scores the most points in the game, the winner's nonprofit then gets the whole pot. And this right. is something that's truly never been done before. Yeah. And so now you talk about somebody who, let's say I'm right out of, of school. I started working for this company. Maybe I just played for $10 or $25 in, the, in that particular event on Give Game. But because I won, my favorite nonprofit, let's say I volunteered on the weekend, just won $1,000. Right. Uh, because it was right. the total of all of the donations that came through the game. So that really, really makes it personal. 
Also, the companies, by the way, love the fact that they're getting the data on the causes that their employees actually care about. They yeah. may not even know right. these causes that their employees, you know, maybe are really passionate about locally in their community or sure. they're moderate. So they're getting a lot of benefit from that data as well. Yeah, well, I like it. You know, one, one question just popped into my mind. I'm curious. So do most of these companies like end up standardizing the amount that each employee gives? Or is, is that just normally, does that happen just naturally? Or are there people that say, well, I'm going to give $100, even though others are only giving $10? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how does that it's work? The latter. Yeah, it's the latter. In fact, um, from a psychology perspective, a human psychology in a lot of ways, similar to other crowdfunding sites where they don't set, like, let's say, an entry fee, right? There's a fixed amount. You know, people, <clears throat> to the most part, are as generous as they feel comfortable being. So it, it actually is the latter. Really? Um, hmm. Typically, do not encourage companies to set a fixed amount to play the game um, because, quite honestly, they, uh, on average, would actually get more giving and, and get more overall participation if people don't feel that they're tied to a single amount where maybe. If they many cases, let me put it this way: if they set the amount as a fixed amount, typically it's too low, meaning that right. they think they want to make it affordable for everyone, but in in, act, in actuality, they're actually limiting the amount of money that's actually raised. Yeah. Versus if you keep it open ended, where people give as little or as much as they want. So, like, if you give a hundred dollars, you don't have like a four times better chance of winning than someone. Who well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. curious about. It's, and again, it's just about playing for bragging rights. I mean, sure. it's whoever has the most correct picks in the in the game effectively gets to brag on social media that I won the game and and I'm part of why this nonprofit raised a thousand dollars. Sure. Now, is it uh, is that public knowledge to everybody playing the game of how much each person is donated? Uh, yes, yes. So we can show similar to like you'd see like on GoFundMe um, recent donations uh, by individuals. Okay. Um, but in most cases, um, what you're seeing is just, again, who is on the leaderboard, um, the, showing the names. And again, this is something where the company use case for our platform uh, really is good because the great thing about companies, of course, is that people know each other. Right. So it's like, let's say I'm really great at golf. You know, we have the PGA championship game coming up next week. Um, Bob in accounting really knows golf. And I think I'm going to beat him, even though I don't know golf at all. And I'm just going to auto pick a random bunch of golfers. And I hope, I bet you I'm still going to beat him, even though he's going to do a ton right. of research. Right. Uh, you know, it's that aspect of competition and competition driving participation really works when people know each other and there's bragging yeah. rights on the line. Sure. It's not about, I'm trying to play this to win cash. Like I'm not right. motivated as like a rap personal, or right. This is about personal bragging rights yeah. that I'm the kind of the, huh. the king or queen of the office because I scored the most points. Right. And, but we should all feel good because we all were well, part right. raising a thousand dollars for this cost. So yeah. I might, I might end up giving maybe a little bit more because I know that's going to be public and it's kind of my way of saying, I feel pretty confident I'm going to win anyway. All the money I'm donating is going to go to my cause anyway, because I'm going to win. Is that the idea? Of yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 if you think you're going to win, yes. Right. But again, your individual donations are not going to the cause you want it to go to. It's I understand. Right. Going to the winner's nonprofit. Got it. Got it. But I, I was trying to figure out like the thing I was trying to, I was struggling with a little bit is like, why would one employee donate more? Like if, if most yeah. people are donating five, $10, why would I donate a hundred? But I could actually see it from a social dynamic of like, oh. I think oh, I'm going to win this. Absolutely. And, and, and then there's just other things like, for instance, you know, we hope that like the person who sets it up, let's say an HR leader, let's say the president of the company or what have you, um, you know, they're probably going to be the first one to play. And so they kind of want to donate get, a little more, uh, get, 
get it going and so people yeah. can say hey so and so you know get distributed $25 right if, and and, and it's like if i if i win i can actually win for my charity the money that the president of the company donated which was more Whatever, than i could afford absolutely yeah right. yeah it's all these people's huh. money okay cool i like it yeah. So, all right. So before we get to the ISO specific stuff and kind of how they can participate, I, one more question is, you know, what you just described, I mean, it's, it's different, as you said, I mean, this has never been done before. So, you know, when you're talking to maybe a small or medium sized company, they have, let's say 10 to 100 employees. Um, right. What is the elevator pitch for this? Like, how do you explain to a business owner who has no idea what give game is? It's like, I think you should do give game. And they're like, what is it? What do you say? Well, the easiest thing, well, I would say is first off, it's the it's the least expensive way for them to have an employee giving program in place that's fun. And not only that, but you can from the get go get people out of this mentality of oh, we're only going to give let's say one time a year, year, let's say at the end of the year. Sure. And now this is a platform that's kind of evergreen. We can make this available throughout the year. And whether we use this four, ten, fifteen times, we have over seventy fundraising games on our platform every year. You can use this and make this available to your employees. And the cost of just having it available in the case of, like you described, 10 to 100 employees is only $99 a month. So for them, it's super low cost for sure. them to be able to not just provide an HR amenity to their folks, but also to achieve their objective, which is how do we boost participation with employee giving? How do we make it easy? And how do we not have to take on a ton of administrative burden with matching gifts and all this other kind of stuff that for a smaller company, you know, they may not even have an HR leader yet. I right. Mean, it, it very right. likely is just the owner of the company who, who wants to set it up for all of his employees or her employees. Mm -hmm. So, so that's where we want to make it super, super easy uh, for even small companies to take advantage of it. The other thing, and this is a good lead in also, as we talk about ISOs and the fact that it's not just companies, uh, the other really great opportunities uh, for, for customers to use GiveGame are schools. So that's both sure. private charter you know, public schools, um, but also um, uh, for nonprofits themselves, of course. So right. many ICOs I know out there are, you know, enabling merchant services for nonprofits and schools just as much as they are for SMBs. Up yeah, to sure. sure. And all of them have their own unique opportunities. Um, you know, we have call outs and sections about why GiveGame works so well for each of those groups on our website that we'll talk about at the end. But, hmm. um, but it's not just uh, for-profit companies. We think for-profit companies are the fastest uh, sales cycle, uh, sure. you know, they get the value the quickest, uh, <clears throat> right. it as a real nominal investment. Uh, it's just that those other two groups have a lot of obvious benefit, particularly right. in this COVID era. Where well, yeah, so, so it sounds like what you're, it's, I think what you're saying is, if I'm understanding it correctly, is even like, let's say I'm a, I'm a, you know, own a, I'm a school director or whatever. So you're saying yeah. that my school, we could potentially send an email to all the parents, for instance, Absolutely. and say, Absolutely. Hey, with the PGA championship coming up, we're doing a give game. Here's how right. it works. Enroll and make a donation of any size and, and, you know, play for and the you're school. Support, and you're supporting the school. And by right. the way, we can't do anything that we used to do for fundraising. We can't do a golf tournament. We can't do a gala. We can't do an auction. Right. We can't sell popcorn, cookie dough, and holiday cards sure. anymore. I mean, all of the methods that we would have taken to raise money, either we missed out on our spring event, and now we know we're not going to have a fall event. There's nothing going to happen. Right. In-person in events for these for both nonprofits and schools until 2021. Sure. Okay. I mean, this is the best way to virtually fundraise huh. to kind of cool. bridge that gap. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Awesome. Um, yeah. So l let's do one last thing real quick, because I know when I was talking to you the first time, it took me a little while to figure this out of exactly. So let's use a really specific example. So let's take uh, the PGA championship. Okay. So uh, let's say that I'm a company, I have a hundred employees. 
um, and I'm a client of Give Game. Can you be a little more specific about what exactly is this experience like for the end user to play this Give Game? Absolutely. So the idea is that the HR leader or the owner of the company, let's say, sets up the Give Game, and that only takes one minute. It's so fast, so easy. So they're just choosing an event that you already have. Choosing an event, they can give it a name, so they give it a fundraising name. Okay. So it could be, you know, XYZ companies. Uh, give game and this current game that we're going to start with is the pga championship as soon as they just set those three that's all they have to do is set up those three things and then they make the choice of do we all want to play for the same nonprofit where we fix what nonprofits the beneficiary or do we want each donor employee to pick what nonprofit they want okay so that's the only decision that's really made it takes one minute to do that it generates a link that then you can share immediately on facebook and Twitter, you can certainly email, you can text, you can post it in Slack, Microsoft Teams, wherever your employees are. And at that moment, that's a live game. That, that They can start making picks anytime between when that link is distributed and when the actual first golfers tee off for the PGA Championship. Now, okay. in the case of almost all golf events, uh, the tournaments begin on Thursday, and then each night of the tournament, as the scores come in, you know, our team updates the leaderboard with who is you know doing the best, who's doing the worst. So right. in the case of golf, you get a point for every stroke you are under par and you lose a point for every stroke you are over par. And so dynamically, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday through the final, the championship of, the, of that tournament, you're seeing the leaderboard change right. based upon how the, the golfers that you pick do. And so then after on Monday, the next business day after the event is over, you can see the final leaderboard tally and at that point in time, we then do we initiate the payout, typically by ACH, sometimes by physical check, to the winner's nonprofit. Right. So that's the way the dynamic works. So Got the it. great thing about the gameplay from the employee's experience perspective is a couple things. One is they can pay with any Visa, MasterCard, Discover, Apple Pay. And as you might imagine, 70% of the time or more, people are doing it from their phone, right. which means that even the first time they play, they can just click the button on the side of their phone and do Apple Pay and not have to deal with right. that at all. Right. Um, the other thing is, is we design every game so that you can make your picks in 30 seconds or less. And even if you don't even want to do that, you can auto pick and they'll randomly give you a lineup and then you make your donation sure. and you're done. So, so this is about making it quick and fast and easy to get in make your picks, be part of the game. And then once the actual event, like Thursday morning, when the golfers tee off, you know, kicks off, then you can start watching the leaderboard to see how your choices sure. did. Sure. Okay. Oh, I like it. That's awesome. That sounds really cool. So, uh, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the ISOs. Um, so yeah. how do you see ISOs in this spa uh, space kind of like playing a role in distribution? Um, right. Why should they get involved? You know, what's the, what would be their motivation other than just raising money for charities? Okay. So, so for, first off, right off the bat, this is not a traditional uh, product that an ISO is reselling because they're going to get the benefit of the merchant services. So that's the one first thing I want to make clear to everyone sure. is that this is not something where we've certified to a bunch of acquiring platforms and, and they're getting the merchant services on this because honestly, we've set it up to work with Stripe just for this fast aspect of getting these games up and running and being right. able to take donations. Right. So the play here is, is that again, every company, everything from a 10 to a hundred, person employee company all the way up to thousand plus. I mean, we're talking to fortune 500 companies right now about in incorporating this now that these sporting events are coming back. After right. Right. Um, basically we're encouraging them to start using the platform. We're providing a revenue share to the ISOs. Um, our typical platform fee with nonprofits and schools is 10%. And that includes the payment processing fee. So we pay all of that out of pocket. 
but we're providing to the ISO 100 basis points, so a full 1% of the donations as a portion of our revenue for all donations that come in through that school and with, um, and with the um, nonprofit uh, type use case. Right. With companies, on the other hand, they still get the 100 basis points, but we actually charge the company 7% because we're also, because the companies really value the data right. and want to use this throughout the year, we actually are able to charge that monthly fee that varies by size of company. So from $99 up to $299 a month. And then we also share 25% of that monthly fee with the ISO. Okay. So again, if you take a typical company, let's say, where they have $1,000 in a game um, right. that's played. So in essence, on every game, then they'd be getting $10 of that $1,000. They'd also be getting the 25% of the monthly fee per client. And then they're, in many cases, we believe are going to run seven to 10 games throughout the year. So maybe they start out with PGA Championship. Then they do the rescheduled Kentucky Derby coming up. Right. Then they do you know, the NFL. And we do a game for every week of the NFL season. Um, so there's a lot of things that they can use. So for the ISO, I mean, you're now talking about on a per client basis, it easily can be a couple hundred dollars for them basically reselling a product that any company in their portfolio could benefit from. Sure. It's just not one of these things where they're dealing with underwriting. Uh, right. You know, it's, a, it's a simpler, it's a simpler it's thing. Just a simple product that really fits well particularly when they're dealing with any type of a, an HR type uh, contact at those uh, at right. merchants. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. One of the reasons I want to have you on the podcast is, you know, because, you know, this is a little bit off the reservation of, you know, the kind of stuff we normally cover on here. But the, the reason I wanted to do this is so many ISOs lately have been asking me about, you know, hey, with COVID-19 and everything, we want to present our brand as one that cares and that's trying to help the company raise money yes. and to do good. Um, and right. I really think this is pretty cool because it's an opportunity for them to really help their clients to do good and to give money and to be involved in that. But also it's a fun, you know, it's a fun idea um, and it's something they can make some money on in the process. So I think it's kind of an interesting that, idea. That, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that, it's, it's really that trifecta. I mean, because it does make them look good. It is something new. I mean, I, every right. ISO I've ever met has always looking for new products right. that provide value into their merchant base. It obviously stems their attrition, all the things sure. that, you know, they're talking about. But also, they can make money in the process. So, right. I mean, this is the new product. It helps do good. Um, I can tell you this is a palpable need. Uh, with companies, schools, and nonprofits because of COVID. There's right. a lot of non ultimate beneficiary nonprofits that have really suffered from their giving being down in 2020. Yeah. So you are actually part of the solution. Um, right. Of, right. You know, offering this type of product to your merchants. Yeah. And I think too, I, I think there's definitely going to be some of our listeners that are maybe even individual agents that primarily focus on nonprofits, you know, yes. where, right. Where I mean, for, for them, I mean, yeah. You know, this oh, is a no brainer yeah. because you're, no-brainer. if you're focused on nonprofits, I mean, you're probably really struggling right now to reach out to them with value, you know, because they're, yeah. they're hurting, yeah. uh, right. largely because right. of the issues you talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, and if you are, you're probably telling them that, okay, if you're not going to do in-person events, you got to throw up this online credit card form, which I can tell you right. many no one's cases, get to. <laughs> you could ask for a whole bunch of information that you actually don't need. Right. Um, that the nonprofit wonders, okay, then why is no one giving online? Right. You know, they don't appreciate, oh, if you ask a donor online for 10 or more pieces of information, they're not going to do right. it. So this right. is a very elegant way to get donations, to enable giving, but again, to make it fun. And and when, you know, the great thing, of course, about schools and companies, the one thing they have in common is it's it's when people know each other, right. that can really 
drive participation sure. in a really unique sure. way. Sure. Well, Matt, this is super interesting. I really appreciate all the time. Uh, before we go, obviously, some of our listeners are going to want to learn more about the reseller yeah. opportunity. Where would you send them? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so if you just go to givegame.com, um, you can get all the information around, you know, of course, uh, why it works for companies, nonprofits, and schools. Um, but I will actually um, throw out my my email address. Uh, okay. So it particularly for ISOs that want to work. And, and uh, we have an affiliate agreement. We have all that stuff in place. Uh, we just don't have a downloadable off the website. So if they could email, uh, email me directly at Matt, M-A-T-T dot Golis, G-O-L-I-S at givegame.com. Uh, I'd love to talk to them. And again, I come from the merchant services world, so I completely understand you know, the challenges they have. And I, I think 100 basis points can really help them um, right. not just retain their merchants, but again, do good. Yeah. Love it. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Super interesting. I'll be uh, really curious to see how it plays out for you guys. So, This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. Hey everybody, today's question from the field is actually a question from our Facebook group. So uh, if you're not in the Facebook group, definitely check it out, CC Sales Pro Community on Facebook. Uh, I believe we have about 1,020 members now that are all uh, mostly merchant sales uh, individual professionals. So a lot of uh, questions get posted in there. So it's really fun for me because I get to see what everybody's interested in. And the most recent question that came in that had just tons of comments and kind of debate around it is a very simple question, actually, uh, from one of our members. And the, the question was this, would you sell a merchant at four cents and four basis points that was doing 70,000 a month and had, I think it was 15 locations? So the idea, uh, you know, kind of generalizing the question a bit is, how do you deal with pricing on really large merchant accounts? And so I've actually done a lot of deals like that. And so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit and kind of give my personal opinion about it and, you know, whether or not I would sell a deal like that. So um, the short answer to the question is yes. Okay. If I needed to price it that low to get the account, I would absolutely do that. However, there are a couple of really important considerations to keep in mind. Number one, you need to really understand your Schedule A, uh, your cost structure with your processor, and understand that that Schedule A might have some wiggle room in it on larger merchant accounts. So if I was this sales rep and I stumbled across this deal that was, you know, huge, 15 location, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like a 15 location, you know, 65,000 a month per location deal. Um, When I come across a deal like that, I'm always going to reach out to my processor and say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to have to be like really competitive to get this deal. But in the process of being really competitive, I also want to make some money. And I know you do as well. So we have the Schedule A cost. So you might have a Schedule A cost of three basis points and four cents. Well, then, no, I wouldn't do the deal then. That doesn't make any sense because I'm going to make one basis point. I'm going to make my percentage on one basis point. So no, thank you. But I might talk to my processor and they might say, well, actually, on a big deal like that, we can work with our acquirer and we can maybe get the cost down to, you know, two basis points and two cents or whatever, right? 
sometimes there's that little bit of wiggle room, sometimes there's not. But that's obviously a really important consideration. Um, I would want to make sure, for me personally, I want to make sure that I'm making a little bit of money on the account. Um, definitely, I want to make sure I'm not at break even on the per percentage or the pride. There needs to be a little bit of profit there. But here's the interesting thing. That is actually not why I would do this particular deal. It's not for the money. So <clears throat> on a deal that, well, it's not for the money short term. On a deal that's a big deal like that, I wouldn't do it because I'm trying to make my two basis points in one penny. You know, that's not really why you do a big deal like that at, at that low rate. The reason you do a big deal like that is for the relationship, for the referral, um, and for the opportunities that are going to come long term. All right. Now, <clears throat> I have sold a lot of deals like this that really fit that criteria exactly. Um, and, you know, did I make a lot of money on those? Uh, yes, I made good residual. Um, most of those deals I was able to pull out at least $500 a month in residual income because of just the volume and the number of, you know, uh, locations and stuff. So, you know, 500 bucks a month is good. It sounds awesome. But of course the problem is that means you're gonna have to drive to 14 locations to do installs and there's gonna be customer service concerns. So there's definitely other considerations, but the reason I do these deals is because guess what happens in six months or a year or two years they are going to run into other issues with payment processing. And so the reason you get that deal is for the relationship. Um, and so, you know, my idea with this is, yes, I want to close the deal um, because I want to know the president of that company. Because eventually that company is going to need a new point of sale system, um, at which point I'm going to make $100,000 in a month. Okay. Um, because they're going to, you know, come to me. If I have that relationship, I'm going to say, Hey, look, you know, I might even come to them after six months or a year and say, Hey, I want to do a free technology evaluation and see where you're at. I want to interview your managers and kind of see how things are going for you and make some recommendations about your payment integrations and how you could cut costs and improve efficiency. And they're like, sure, you know, I, you're, I'm already their payment processing provider. So of course they're happy to allow me to do this you know, free consultation. So then at that point, I'm able to come back to them and say, Hey, look, I did a full review. Here's what I learned. And I wanted to showcase a few of the current systems that are available today. Now, in my experience, very few times have I actually made a sale like that then. But the fact that they know I'm an expert on point of sale systems, usually within a year or two, they do reach out and say, Hey, James, we've been thinking about this. We're having starting to run into some, some issues with our POS uh, system or provider. We want to talk about it. And then of course, they're going to buy, you know, four registers times 15 locations. And, you know, I'm going to make a thousand dollars per register plus some setup fees and some, maybe some subscription revenue in there. So once the technology piece comes in, it's going to blow away the payment processing in terms of margin and profit. Um, and the other big thing is this, what you'll really be surprised about is there are a lot of companies that have multiple locations like that and lots of volume that actually don't have a very good deal. Um, it always surprises me. It really does. I mean, uh, I'm thinking of one right now. There's one that I sold that's very similar to the one I just described. This was a uh, an 11 location that did between 70000 and 120000 a month per location. When I came in, they were on interchange plus 30 basis points and 8 cents. 30 and 8, okay? And they had some junk fees in there as well. I was able to get them down to, I don't remember exactly, I want to say it was like 15 basis points and 6 cents Plus, they had some pin debit uh, volume that I was able to make some money on. Now, that deal made me, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say $1,500 a month, somewhere in that range, in residual income. 
um, standard terminals, like standalone terminals, but 1500 bucks a month in residual on that one account, which is great. Um, a lot of work to set it up, a lot of work to get everything going, but I eventually was able to set them up with um, a POS provider after a few years. Um, we were able to do interchange optimization for them, which was great. So let me explain how I do that um, just real quick. So the other reason I do these really, really big accounts, like the one that's talked about here, is after I have them on board for six months, I'll say, hey, I did a full analysis of your statement, and it turns out if we implemented interchange optimization for you, you would be saving $3,000 a month or $4,000 a month. And the way, you know, that's how much the savings is. What I do is I set everything up for you. You guys don't have to do anything. I set everything up. And then what we do is we split the savings. And so, you know, what I do is I actually would take the basis points up. So I would come back to them with a proposal and say, I'm going to cut, you know, we're going to go from four basis points to seven, but you're still going to save 1500 bucks a month. So I run the numbers that way. You could use, um, I get isoamp.com to do something like this, but you run these numbers and you come back. So all that to say, you know, it's a, that was a lot of complicated information, but but the whole the whole idea here is if I have to go down really close to cost in order to sell a big account, do I sell the big account? And the answer is yes, absolutely, every time I do. The reason is because not the residual I'm going to make on that account, but because of several things, okay? Number one, future technology opportunities like we talked about with point of sale systems, all right? Um, but number two is... In order for you to get the other big multiple location deals in your local area, you need that reference. That reference is going to be the reason you get the deal. When I get go and get a big deal and I'm able to say, well, yeah, I'm already working with this company that has 12 locations, this company that has 15 locations, and this company that has 20, then the, the next one that has 15 feels very comfortable working with me, and now I'm going to make that sale. Then I can ask, well, what are they paying? They understand things vary based on the type of business, how much volume is done, etc. So they're not really concerned with, well, what are they paying? It's just, are they happy? Are you working with them? You know, do you have a letter of reference from the president of that company? So the cachet that you get, you're always going to make money, no matter what. But the cachet that you're going to get is going to be huge. Um, and then, of course, really long-term with these deals where you sell them really low margin, you can almost always raise the price in exchange for better value. So that could be, I'm going to just give you a point of sale system for free for all 14 locations. And you work out a deal with your processing company to borrow 70000 or 60000 or 40000 to do that. And you say, in exchange, we're going to add a $99 per location per month fee uh, as a subscription to support the technology or whatever. Now, all of a sudden, you're making an extra 1500 bucks a month on the account to justify you're going to pay back your ISO and then you're going to have this extra profit. So, um, you know, or you could do interchange optimization and, and take the price up a little bit. So usually once I sell the, the deal, my kind of philosophy has been make the sale and then figure out how to make it profitable <laughs> on the bigger deals. Cause there's always a way, even if the deal is never profitable very much, it's like break even a little bit above, you're making a few hundred dollars and you're like, wow, this is not worth it. The truth is within 12 months, you're going to sell another one that's super profitable that you got because of the other one. So there you go. That's my opinion on selling low margin deals when they're really, really big and they're worth it. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.